Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reformed, Puritan literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, good day and welcome to another episode of the Reformers Bookcast, a podcast put on by Reformers Bookshop. My name is Tom Eglinton, I'm the manager here at Reformers, and today we have joining us Jonty Rhodes. Thanks for joining us, Jonty. A pleasure, good to be with you. Now, Jonty is a South African cricketer. (laughs) (laughs) It's great because, you know, most of the people I've spoken to over the last few months have been Americans who've got no idea whatsoever about the Jonty reference. So uh, it's good to speak to Mozzies who actually, yeah, actually get it. That's the good. first time I ever did a talk in a school, it was advertised as yeah, Jonty Rhodes. And when go. the teacher introduced me, the, there's about 40 kids just went, oh. <laughs> so I got so realised. <laughs> no, so uh, this is not the cricketer, but the, the name is the same. So if you type Jonty Rhodes into Google, all you find is cricketer references. But... Uh, John T, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, um, the, the not cricketer? Sure, yeah. I'm a James properly, actually. I was given John T as a nickname um, okay, because of the cricket. Yeah, yeah. So used to play a bit. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm um, married to Georgina. We've got five kids. I'm a pastor in Leeds, um, so a city in the north of England, um, in a, a Presbyterian church plant. So it's been going about four years. Um, before that, I was um, planting in a city called Derby. So I'm part of a very small um, Presbyterian denomination in England um, called the International Presbyterian Church. Um, there are very few Presbyterians in England, lots in Scotland, very few in England. So we're trying to get it off the ground again, really. Um, so hence my last two jobs have been been church planting. Well, that sounds, sounds like a good endeavour. I'm a fan of Presbyterians, so <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear. Um, now, John, you've written a few books, a couple of books or because I know you've yeah, got two, the two Raiders at the moment, yeah. Two, yeah. yeah? You've got Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark, which is my fa- my favourite version of it, or the US <laughs> edition where they tone it down and called yes. it uh, Covenant, sim- Simply Covenants or something to that effect. Yeah, Covenants made simple. Yeah, yeah. It's so boring. Yeah. I like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, dumb it down for the Americans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, which is all about covenant theology. And then your newest book, which we're going to talk about today, Man of Sorrows, King of Glory, uh, which is all about the uh, humiliation and exaltation of Christ and his three-office work in Prophet, Priest, and King. Now, uh, both of these books seem to have a connection to me, um, which is that they see, uh, I think, something of the grandness of God's design in uh, history and in redemption. Um, when When did you first come to see how big and rich, I guess, the the gospel is in, in the way that it's worked out in, in history. Yeah. Um, but one sense, the answer is I still haven't seen it really as much as I should do, <laughs> but it's one of those ongoing things, isn't it? And by, I mean, I, I was converted as a teenager in a sort of parachurch summer camp setting, very clear on, I suppose what you would call kind of gospel basics. We're sinners. Jesus died for us. Um, repent and believe. Um, but, uh, therefore, I never had any kind of, I mean, I didn't really have a, certainly not an evangelical church background or Bible teaching or anything like that. Didn't go to church till I was at university. Um, so it was really, I suppose, university onwards, and particularly um, I had a, a minister, an Anglican minister who was reformed and um, just started introducing me to the way the Bible was knit together, um, the way everything pointed onwards towards Christ. 
Um, so it was a slow, a slow process, I suppose. Um, but moving from a kind of fairly simplistic, um, yeah, basic evangelistic message yep. to seeing actually all of scripture is revealing the glory of God in Christ, mm. um, is, is a, well, as I say, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Like there's still plenty more to see. Yes. I suspect we'll be plumbing the depths for eternity. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and so th- this book here, you focus in on the work of Christ. Now, uh, usually you, you say in your introduction that usually we we look mm-hmm. at um, what Jesus did and we say, well, he died on the cross for our sins, that all who believe on him um, you know, will have eternal life. Um, but you say uh, penal substitution doesn't exhaust the significance of Golgotha. Uh, the cross is not just where Christ does his priestly work of offering a sacrifice for our sins, but also his pulpit and throne. Um, mm. And so uh, you've got a th- this idea of a threefold office. What is the threefold office uh, of Christ? Sure. I mean, certainly not original to me, um, picking up uh, off the, the thought of, of many who've gone before. But it's really exploring what, what it means that Jesus is, is the Christ, the anointed one, uh, the Messiah. Um and as you look through the Old Testament, you see that there's really three categories of people who are anointed with, usually with oil, mm. um, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And they're the, they're the, I mean, you could expand that to a few other people, but they essentially are the three main roles we see um, God at work through um, in the Old Testament. Um, and therefore, when Christ comes on the scene, at least an incarnate son of God comes on the scene, um, we see um or clearly he's called the messiah he's the anointed one um and we see him picking up um, those three roles so he christ has come as king um to conquer his enemies and our enemies to rule over us defend us he's come as priests i suspect that's what we talk about most often mm. um comes a sacrifice and to cleanse us purify us and he's uh come as a prophet to, to reveal um, god and god's will to us um so really it's, i suppose it's a way of fleshing out what it means for jesus to be the christ the messiah um from a sort of multi multifaceted angles. Yeah, that's helpful. I hadn't picked up on that element of the anointing being on each of the three, um, and so all connected to that that concept of Christ and Messiah. So that that is a helpful connection. Yeah, I think um, it, it helps. It helps ground the fact that this isn't just some sort of theological construction that's kind of meet and construct a, a Sunday school series or a sermon series or a book. <laughs> um, it, it does grow out of the you know, the story of scripture, um, the, the idea of the anointed one um, in the New Testament being the fulfillment of the, the anointed ones, the many messiahs, if you like, yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah, which are all really foreshadows of um, what Christ is going to do in, in completion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and we'll pick up on some of those, I think, later on. Um, but you then, you, you've got the structure of the three offices throughout the book, uh, but your book's sort of split in two as well. It talks about the humiliation of Christ and his exaltation. Can you can you talk us through how that fits, um, and where where that comes from? Sure. So again, definitely not original um, to me. But um, look, in our in our books, if it's original, it's bad. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You never want an original thought, do you? Um, um, I mean, the, the scheme, the scheme of humiliation and exaltation is really tracing, if you like, the story, um, the, the journey of Christ, if I can put it that way. Um, so the humiliation is the, the term that's used to refer to his 
his ministry on earth. So we begin with the incarnation, um, the Son of God taking on flesh, and, and really walk the whole road to the to the cross. In fact, even even beyond the cross to the grave. So I think that the humiliation of Christ um, is his his ministry as prophet, priest, and king. Um, from I think in the book I say from womb to tomb. It's kind of preachers rhyming for <laughs> you can't stop it. Alliteration and You're rhyming. Not Welsh, are you? Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, that's followed by the exaltation of Christ. So beginning with the resurrection uh, and then the ascension to heaven, his session is sitting down at the right hand of the Father um, and his present heavenly rule. And then, of course, one day his re- return. Um, and so the, the idea isn't that um, Christ isn't glorified while he's on earth. I mean, he's glorified on the cross. Isn't he? He's lifted up on the cross to use the language of John's gospel. Um, so it's not this kind of hard, fast division between, um, you know, Christ was never glorified um, on earth or anything like that. But it's just, a, I think, a helpful way of tracing the, the story. And it's, it's really coming off passages like Philippians 2, um, you know, where Christ didn't consider equality with, with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Um, and then you trace the way all the way down to, to death, even the death of a cross. And then you get that therefore, don't you? Therefore, God raised him up. And it's the kind of, if you've, you've bottomed out the bottom of the U, and then it turns and, and, and it's a, a raising up to glory. So again, I don't think it's it's just some sort of theologian's construct. It is something you can trace from scripture. Um, even the end of Luke's gospel, where Jesus says to the, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, do you not know that Christ had to suffer? And then, you know, there's the before and after, yeah. uh, which is what the humiliation and exaltation is, is referring to. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think in one of the chapters, I think it's on his uh, prophetic role, you even extend the humiliation a bit back into history before he was incarnate. Um, was I reading that right? Or Yeah, so um, I don't know whether you'd... I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know whether <laughs> the genuinely right. clever people have talked about um, extending the necessarily the humiliation of christ back before the incarnation but you'd certainly want to extend the work of christ back mm. before the incarnation so um as you said a moment ago the you know the prophets the priests the kings of the old testament um they are shadows of what's to come but they're also um the, the ones through whom christ was working at the time um yes. so it's not just that they point forward they were also at the time if you like the Christ was active through them. So it was Christ who was speaking through, I don't mean Malachi or Ezekiel. Um, it was Christ who was ruling through David. It was Christ um, ultimately who was forgiving people's sin through the sacrifices. You know, they take the sacrifices in the temple. It, did they atone for sin? Well, they didn't in a Hebrew sense. Of course they can't. It has to be the blood of human beings, not the blood of bulls and goats. But at the same time, Leviticus tells us when you offer your sacrifice, the priest will say you are forgiven. Why is that? Well, because of the connection between um, the sacrifice and and Christ. Mm. Even an Old Testament Israelite could be forgiven if he came in faith um, because Christ was at work before the incarnation, thank God. And and that's really starting to touch on what I love about um, thinking about and, and reading books about the uh, richness of Christ's person and work uh, because... Um, Something that I, I found as I read through your book uh, is that each of these elements of Christ's work and person just makes sense. They're just so necessary. Um, it just fits in, in the way that our world's built and in the, this narrative of, of history, the way, that, the way that God's designed history. 
Um, for example, and, and this is where we can dig into some some particulars, I think, uh, Christ's prophetic work that you just started touching on, um, really you, you describe it as Christ revealing the Father. How, why, why is it that we needed Christ to do that? You know, the, the Messiah, someone special. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there are two, there are almost two parts to that answer. In, in, in one sense, we've always needed revelation. So even Adam in the garden, um, if you like, naturally speaking, um, there, there is a, there's such a chasm between humanity and God, you know, God who is invisible to put, mm. take one very obvious example, but also his spirit who is utterly beyond us. You know, Job says, you know, you pass me and I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. So we've always been dependent as human beings on revelation. Um, there's never been a time when, I don't know, somehow we could climb up and find God, but that's made even, um, even more acute by the fall. So one of the ways I think that um, you see the work of Christ, um, so mapping out in prophet priest king categories is in relation to our sin so mm. what does the fall do well of course it makes us guilty so we um so we need to uh, sacrifice yeah so we need to sacrifice yeah but it also makes us blind yeah um so we we can't um you know we can't see god we can't know god um hence we hence the the prophetic work of christ um is part of his saving work you know sometimes you can almost give the impression. I think evangelicals, as evangelicals, we, we do this because we're so we're so keen not to be liberals and to tell people that you just need to, I don't know, be good people like Jesus teaches, do the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we, of course, we rightly um, put the cross at the centre and forgiveness, substitution, as you talked about in your in your introduction. Um, you can almost make it sound like the prophetic work of Christ is, I don't know, what he does after he saved you. Um, it's not it's not his saving work itself, but actually, if if I can put it this way, if if Christ had only died for us, if you pardon the expression, um, in a kind of priestly sense, there was a cleansing on offer, and then it was up to us to see it and embrace it. Well, we'd never have got there. Yeah. Um, so actually, his saving work, or sorry, his prophetic work, opening our eyes, revealing the truth of the gospel um, to us, and, and enabling us to believe it, is very much part of his saving work. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm... it's not an addendum. I agree, and, and it's, it's even deeper than that, I think, in that uh, John tells us that this is eternal life, to know yeah. God. Not, not to be forgiven for your sins in that passage, although that is yeah. obviously necessary for eternal life, but is, is to know God. And so, again, you get that, that requirement for a, uh, a go-between, someone who can reveal God to man. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so it's almost, I, I, I'd like to... Think about um, you know push pushing it into the the corners a little bit, but in the garden when God comes down and walked with Adam, and and so you have that interaction between God and Adam and that revelation of Himself. Would you go so far to say that that's <laughs> you know where it's going? Would that that's yeah. the second person who has of God? That's the pre-incarnate Christ. Yeah, I mean, as 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 you know, that no, there's a bit of debate on that. Um, <laughs> it, you know, are we talking a, an appearance of the, the second person in particular? Um, or some more general theophany. My, my leading, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold to this so strongly that you know I'd make it a point of division with other people. My leading is, is yeah, um, I think I would lean towards um, that. That is a, a pre-incarnate appearance of the the Son of God, um, the second person of the Trinity. 
basically, you know, because of what John says, John one, he's the word. He, you know, it is mm. the the son who reveals. Um, it seems um, so. That that seems to make sense. And, and likewise, when you get, um, uh, you know, appearances, you know, throughout the Old Testament, really, the angel of the Lord or the, um, you know, the angel in the burning bush, these sort of things. Um, my, yeah, my leaning would be towards that is that is the the, the son of God at work in his prophetic office, um, even before the incarnation. Yeah, I mean, but much cleverer people have disagreed with me on that side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like it seems it seems to make sense to me as well, and seems to um, align with the the fullness of Christ's work and our and our ness, our, our need of it. Um, yeah. You know, even even in our perfect state, we still need God to come down and and show Himself to us. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I guess moving on then into how Christ keeps doing that prophetic work now. Um, how does how does he? Well, you you talked about opening our eyes. Um, yeah. What what else? Sure. So I mean, if here we're thinking about Christ's prophetic work in his exaltation. Yeah. Um, so um, I suspect if you know if uh, if you ask most people how is Christ a prophet, we'd we'd run straight to his preaching in the Gospels. Yeah. Um, perhaps the inspiration of the Scriptures, which obviously happened after he'd risen and ascended, so that would be part of his work as a prophet uh, in exaltation. He um, you know, he doesn't he doesn't just go and have a rest you know he is at work through the apostles um and the, the prophets who, who write the new testament um but well, i think quite, he can go, quite starkly so like um paul in some places will say uh, you heard christ you know well, or yes, christ so this is it. So preached I, to you yeah yeah and i think i mean yeah i think you can i think that goes beyond just the inspiration of scripture mm. um not I should add, because I think Christ is, is revealing anything more. The canon is complete, so there's no more revelation. Um, but one, in fact, one of the things that surprised me when I first started coming into, a, I suppose, a Reformed world um, was that the understanding of preaching um, that you get from a, a Calvin or, um, or actually for a Luther, you know, not, not technically Reformed, is he, but Reformation. Um, and, um, yeah, well, and all sorts of greats in, 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 in that kind of line where they – they understood it not so much as, I don't know, Reverend Phil talking about Jesus to St. Andrew's Church on a Sunday, but rather Christ speaking, of course, through Reverend Phil, um, but Christ being the one who addresses you on a Sunday. Um, so as long as the minister is being faithful, um, clearly it's not just that every minister is inspired and can say whatever he wants, but as long as the minister is being faithful, um, that actually it is Christ you're hearing. And that is because of passages like the one you referred to you know paul can say to the ephesians it's christ who came and preached to you mm. um uh paul paul actually says i can't remember if he's on trial with festus i always get a bit confused by paul's trials i can never quite remember either way he's on trial and maybe it's a griff i can't remember um he's on trial and, he, and he's trying to defend himself and he says look i'm doing nothing other than what the old testament prophesied what moses wrote um you know that christ would suffer and that, that he would preach to the gentiles christ would preach to the gentiles yeah, yeah. um which is yeah um or Romans 10 would be another classic. Um, how can you believe, and it depends what Bible version you then read, but um, you know, sometimes versions will say, how can you believe in him who you've not heard? But actually, there's no need for the... Um, the in. in sort of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just how can you believe him whom you've not heard? Mm. Um, so when Christ is faithfully preached, uh, or the word of God is faithfully preached, it is Christ who's 
who's speaking to you um, is ongoing prophetic work, which of course makes sense. It's because, you know, when we, we respond in faith, we're responding not in faith to Reverend Dan, but to Christ. Yeah. Uh, if we reject a faithful preacher of the gospel, we're not rejecting Reverend Dan, we're rejecting Christ. Um, you know, and, as, as Jesus says, you only have one teacher. Yeah, yeah, and, and it makes sense even uh, from from the sort of con- converse angle that the only reason you or I or anyone else would stand in a pulpit and preach Christ faithfully is because he's at work in us yeah. to to produce that. There's certainly yeah. you know, there's certainly no no truth in myself that's you know yeah. being worked up somehow. Um, yeah, so exactly. It, it it really is quite remarkable how he you know he's still working to proclaim his name. And it, it hugely changes too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the the I think the shock for me, you know, I. I I'd been in faithful churches, um, don't get me wrong, in Bible teaching churches, but perhaps in some cases, places where that, that understanding wasn't quite clear. I think the, the big change for me was suddenly realizing, okay, um, I'm therefore not coming to this sermon just to learn stuff, you know, to be faithfully educated, but I'm, I'm coming to listen to the King speak to me. Yeah. Um, so it's suddenly an encounter, not, just education. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not to downplay learning. Of course you'll learn, you learn, but um, it, I do, I do think it changes both what the preacher thinks he's doing, but also what the congregation think they are listening to. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in, in significant ways. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Um, now let's, let's move on though uh, to, I just want to touch on Christ's kingly work as well. Uh, they're, the, they're the two we'll talk about. I think um, the priestly sure. work is of course beautiful to look at, but for the sake of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, uh, I want to start here by going back to the garden as well. Um, what was Adam's job in, in the garden, I guess? And how does that relate to a king being necessary? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Adam was a prophet, a priest and a king, actually. I think those, that threefold office is, is integral. You know, he's, it's, um, uh, it's through Adam that Eve, who, Paul tells us is is the church um, learns that she's not to take the fruit of the knowledge of tree of the good. I can't say it, you know what I mean. <laughs> the fruit of the, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, you know she's not around when that command is given. So you know Adam is to preach that to her. Yeah. Um, I think he's to, to lead the the church in worship. That's his priestly role. But we, we won't go there now. Um, but yeah, he's he's very obviously I think a king. You know he's to rule over, isn't he? Creation. He's, he's mm. to have dominion uh, over the. Uh, Fish of the sea, the birds of the air, uh, all that walks on the ground. So he 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 is meant to be this um, vicegerent, under God ruler um, of uh, of all creation, and and therefore the king of all humanity too. Um, and king, king's jobs are, um, are, are they're to rule and to lead, but they're also to protect and defend. Yeah. Um, so he. Um, certainly once, you know, who knows quite when Satan falls, but given the fall of Satan, part of his job in the garden will be to defend, or should have been, to defend the, the bride, um, defend Eve. And I guess you could even add to that, right? The uh, the king's work is also to build um, and to create uh, a kingdom for his people to live in. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, hence why, you know, when you, when you talk about, Genesis one and two, um, yeah, the world is sinless. It's spotless. It's it's faultless. God doesn't make it with cracks, or so it doesn't make it with sin or death or suffering. Um, but it's not finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, he, he's got to go and subdue, you know, there, there is work to do. Um, so I think, I think actually I talk, might talk about this in the other book, but you know, we, we sometimes, I wonder if sometimes we give the impression that the only thing that was off limits was taking that fruit. Mm. Um, whereas actually if, if Adam had, well, obviously if, oh, I think obviously if Adam had murdered his wife, he still would have brought sin into the world, wouldn't he? Just, it's not just about the fruit, but, but equally if he just sat, never thought about basically that. sat on his backside and done nothing, um, do you know, never, never worshiped God, never developed, never harvested the fruit, never gone out of the garden, just sat there and slept all day. That is disobedience too, um, because he was sent to rule and subdue. Um, so, um, there isn't, I mean, this is just another way really of saying there isn't, there, there's a, a positive law we're meant to fulfill as human beings. There are things we're called to do that aren't just avoid doing the bad things. That's a, that's fascinating. I've never thought of that in relation to Genesis one and two. That's uh yeah, I'll think about that more. Um, so then let's talk about how Christ does this. How is how is Christ the perfect king? Just a yeah, so he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's, uh, he's king two ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, often people talk about his kingship in two ways. He's, he's got a natural kingship. You know, he's 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 God. He's <laughs> he is the one true God. So in that sense, just as the Psalms celebrate, you know, the Lord is King, Yahweh is King. Jesus is just naturally King in that sense. But he also has a kind of mediatorial kingship. So when he becomes man, takes on flesh and is a descendant of David, um, the great king of the Old Testament, um, he, 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 he picks up that Adamic kingship um, that was always meant to, you know, there was always meant to be a human ruler. Um, and that is what Christ picks up. That's why at the end of Matthew's gospel, he can say all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, you know, as God, nothing's ever given to him because he's got it all anyway. Yeah. But actually now as man, he has been appointed um, to be this uh, king over all humanity. Incredible. And so he would, he would do the, um, the conquering of enemies. Um, so part of his work is to defeat Satan of, and in fact, sin and death as well. Um, he will subdue people. He'll bring people into his kingdom. So he'll conquer us uh, and, and, and bring us into, um, yeah, into the kingdom. You know, I will build my church. Yep. It's not us building it for him. He builds, um, he'll defend us once we're in, um, and so he, he remains active as, as King now in exaltation, just as he was active in his sort of conquering mission in, in the humiliation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can, you can plumb the depths of that as well for a long time. Like he puts in place, um, hierarchies in his, in his kingdom. He, um, sends out soldiers. He, you know, yep. there's, there's all sorts of things that relate to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a tight, uh, again, this would probably be a, a rabbit trail. We don't want to go down, but there's a, there's a very tight link between the kingdom and the church. Um, you know, not totally synonymous, but, um, even in that passage, I will, you know, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then two sentences later to Peter, um, you know, I'm giving you the king's keys of the kingdom. Yep. There's, a, there's a tight, tight link. So that um, the way Christ rules as king is largely through the, the church. Um, so he's the head, but he puts officers in place. Um, he brings people in, um, gives them the sign of entry, baptism, rules over them. Um, yeah, pl- plenty <laughs> Plenty of rabbit trails to follow. Yeah, and I mean the the kingdom motive is all through the gospels themselves. Um, I mean the very first words of Jesus in yeah. Mark, I think, repent for the kingdom of God yeah. is at hand. Um, yeah, 
and he just he uses that language all the time. It's um, clearly something very important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And doesn't um, sometimes people play off um, the kingdom language of the gospels versus the church language of, of Paul and the epistles? But that, that passage, Matthew sixteen passage, keys of the kingdom, build my church. I think is an example of of showing that actually they're not these two completely distinct, different entities um, at all. Um, um, yeah. Jonathan Lehman calls local churches uh, outposts or embassies of the kingdom, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think he got that from Ed Clowney. Okay, I'm going to claim yeah. that back for the Presbyterians, but I don't know. Um, uh, well, I, might be, I might be slurring Jonathan Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, now, this, this one's a little, uh, sort of just to wrap up, a little bit of an odd question, but I, I, always, <laughs> I always find that, um, or I've, I've found as lately over the last uh, few years, that um, whenever I read books about Christ's person and work, uh, or whenever I study the scriptures with that particularly in mind, um, I always sort of go in going, uh, I don't know, if, don't know how helpful this is going to be, for me, you know, because I've, I've got problems I need to fix, and this sure. doesn't this doesn't fix my problems. But I, yeah. I mean, even just this afternoon, I started browsing back through your book to refresh my memory, and my heart was just warmed. And Ooh. I'm just, you know, even just after this conversation, I'm left with this sense of awe and and wonder at the depth and the richness and the beauty of of Christ. Um, and I guess. My question uh, is, how, do you have any thoughts about how you can keep yourself returning to this glorious topic? Um, hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, well, firstly, thank God. I mean, that's, yeah, thank God that he's, at least in one person, <laughs> his life has used the book to um, to warm the heart. I mean, that's, yeah, it's just wonderful to hear. Um, I think it's it's, it's it's easy to think or fall into the trap. I think I did this of thinking that the gospels, um, that's in literally the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are kind of the beginners, um, beginners Bible, and then you get onto the serious stuff, which is the theology of Paul. Mm. Um, and somewhere Jai Packer, I can't remember where, but somewhere Packer has this this line where he says, um, actually, it's totally the other way around. That you know, the theology of Paul is to help you understand the gospels better and get to know Christ better in the gospels. So a mature Christian isn't somebody who moves on from the gospels to get to Paul um, uh, as if it's somehow a, a step up. Um, and actually I, one of the things that I've, I think well, I suppose I've benefited from, from teaching this material or, or putting it together for the, if, I mean, it started off as a series here at church um, was just realizing I need Jesus in all these areas. Mm. So, um, I, you know, okay, he, I, I know I need him to forgive my sins, but actually I need him as a prophet each day just to open my eyes. So things like the, the accounts in the Gospels where he's, say, healing a blind man or Bartimaeus's eyes are open, suddenly, oh, yeah, I, I need this today as well. Um, Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want? I want to see. Um, and then you so have I that translated even in the, the Emmaus Road, you see that spiritual same thing happen. Yeah. You know, they're walking yeah. along completely blind. And then so yeah. when he sits down and he bread, he opens their eyes and they can say, yeah. yes. So, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Um, Sorry, I'm so getting into the Gospels <laughs> and, and keeping remembering, yeah, to, to getting back to Christ, um, whatever else you might be reading. 
Well, that's great. Uh, and Jonty, thank you again for coming on the podcast and for writing this book. I uh, hope many people pick it up and explore the depths of the glory of God in Christ. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for having me. No worries. And you've been listening to the Reformers Bookcast. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next time.